right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We have a recap. Sorry, this is not a Sunday night recap. We are on a different time zone. Doesn't quite work. And we've not been watching a lot of golf. Hopefully you got a chance to peep our Katrina Matthew interview that debuted uh, last night on Sunday ahead of this week's AIG Women's Open. This episode is with our friend Sean Zock from Golf.com. Sean has been living uh, in Scotland this summer. He is covering golf on a weekly basis. And he's actually, I don't think he's ever been on the podcast, which is definitely my fault. Uh, we have a great conversation about Tony Finau, everything that happened at the Rocket Mortgage, all the live stuff. We talked for a long time. It's a long episode, but I have no regrets. Um, and thank you for sticking with us uh, as we've been traveling these last couple of weeks filming season eight of Torosauce, which will be coming to your TVs or your YouTube, I should say, later this fall. Shout out to our friends at OGO, OGO.com, O-G-I-O.com. They have supplied us many years ago with incredible equipment to travel with. And the best testimonial I can give, listen, we travel a lot for golf. I got the OGO Mutant travel bag five years ago, five years ago in July, actually in 2017, and it has lasted me Listen, I'm just going to say it. We travel more than the average person, and it has lasted me five years, right? So basically 15 years worth of time uh, traveling on golf trips, and this golf bag has treated me great. TC puts like 80 pounds in his OGO travel bag. We also have the rig, these huge things that carry all of our clothes for our big trips. Uh, again, some we've had for over four years, and there's been almost zero wear and tear on this thing, so we can definitely speak to the longevity of this equipment. So go to OGO.com, check out all the golf bag offerings they have, which we've used many, many times over the years, as well as the travel bags and regular suitcases. I got an OGO backpack I've used for four years as well. Uh, they're probably a little annoyed with us that we've not refreshed some of our stuff, but it's high quality. It's going to last you a long time. It's a quality investment. OGO.com, O-G-I-O.com. Let's get to our podcast with Sean Zock. Sean, I am uh, missing an incredible Swedish sunset. The boys are out on a boat right now. They're eating crawfish and drinking and riding around in uh, the north of Sweden. And here I am talking about live at Trump Bed Bedminster with you. So I, I, I guess take that as a great compliment. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than sitting here with you. Someone at No Laying Up has to do the work, and I think <laughs> it's your job today. <laughs> Someone's got to pay for this a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous trip here that we've had through through Scandinavia. But listen, we're as always, we're going to start with the PGA Tour, as we are, of course, big dick riders for the PGA Tour. But <laughs> look, I, 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 I want, I wish that Randy and DJ were here. Of course, I know a lot of the audience is wishing that they were here. I have some statements from them that we can talk about uh, in the, you know, when we get there. First of all, I want to know how much of the golf you're able to watch this week. You might have to carry me a little bit because I didn't get to watch a lot of the golf, but. Finau, absolutely stunting, 26 under par, wins going away, wins by five. What, what's your immediate reaction to everything going on with, uh, with as the boys would say, phony T now, which no longer, no, that no longer works? I know this is really unfair to Tony, but uh, my immediate thought whenever anyone peaks like this is like, is this as good as it will ever get for them? Because Tony, if you ask him, Tony's thinking, I can win a major, I can win two majors, whatever. I, like, I'm still ascending, but... I always wonder, like, will we look back on this as the rise and peak of Tony Finau? And again, that's super unfair because you get caught up in the moment. And we always ask, like, every tour winner, or we ask about every tour winner, 
Like, what does this mean for them? And really, it's just like you've been harping on it for months and months and years now. It's like, oh, no, this is just what was supposed to happen over the course of a huge sample size, a much bigger sample size. Like, just because it didn't happen the first two years you expected it to happen, now it is. Doesn't mean it's going to happen for the next two years, but maybe he'll have another flash at like 34 years old. I'm pretty much in line with everything you believe about Tony Fino, <laughs> not so much DJ and Randy. But what was so amazing was that when you sent out the request for questions for the podcast, like I feel like I'm on the Tony Fino podcast now. Like everyone wants to know what is the word on Tony. Well, it's 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 somewhat of a polarizing thing, right? I mean, it's it's I, I've long accused Randy of being very sports talk radio when it comes to it just being about wins and losses in golf because like. Dude, it just, I know a lot of people out there don't like to play the numbers game, but it's a probability thing. And when you, when it's like literally like two, three, four percent, the best players, two, three, four percent chance of winning when you tee it up. And then like you have some, some stuff that like doesn't go your way luck wise. You have some bad performances in final rounds, all that. He's just been a, a model test case for, you know, this weird way that golf can work. He's been the outlier though. Like he has been the person to talk about in terms of, the talent level not matching up with the win total, and it's just starting to level out. It took a lot of it took a lot of uh, patience, if you will, to sit here and watch it just f- fail, 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 fail many times over. But a point I want to make here is, ironically, funny enough, his best his uh, of his best three performances this year from a strokes gain perspective, the Canadian Open was better than the 3M, the, the, than wow. his win the prior week. Right, he got beat by Roy McIlroy. Right. And, and the way this works is, you know, not, you know, if you're delivering a 4.2 strokes gain for a single tournament, which is what he did at the RBC Canadian Open, that usually nets out to a win. And it didn't. And like he just kept kept being on the wrong end of these things. Now, look, a 3.81 strokes gain at the 3M doesn't always necessarily mean a win. Like that's not he has a lot of those numbers. If you go look at 2021, he had a big 4.3 at the Northern Trust, which he won, but 3.75 at the Genesis lost in a playoff like the the margins are so incredibly tight waste management in 2020 3.69 same region did not win finished runner up there 2019 he had so many runners up he had a 5.1 at the wgc hsbc and didn't win a three point uh you know 3.1 3.2 3.4 in there they were all top fives and it, it is a weaker field event both these events are weaker fields it's worth pointing out but Sitting here at four wins, it's just a, it's a very different, it's a different conversation. And I'm just glad to have this one at least pushed aside for a little bit. You have all the Tony Finau receipts. And I, I just, I feel like DJ and Randy, they just don't care about receipts. The receipts are important. One thing that I wonder when you just discussed luck is I think we struggle to imagine luck in golf. We really have a hard time understanding, like when, when, LeBron beats Steph Curry on a fadeaway three-pointer for like a buzzer beater like that there's a decent amount of luck implied in that shot in that moment when a 55-yard field goal like doinks in for the win like there's a decent amount of luck in that in golf we have a really really hard time like visualizing what luck looks like and the way you're describing it is probably the best way to describe it which is just like okay it's it's bad luck if the guy who's T7 shoot 63 the best round of his six month stretch like that's just bad luck but we we think of luck as being like lipping out on a eight foot putt or something like that like it's probably pretty bad luck that max homa scored made a par on 10 at riviera last year from where he was like mark brody would tell you that that's pretty 
it's not horrible luck, but it's not good luck and in Tony's favor. And frankly, it's bad luck that Tony missed the eight foot birdie putt that he had or whatever he had there. Like, it's just so hard for us to to quantify, visualize luck that we just like dismiss it almost entirely, I think. Well, because there's always something you can do to have made that luck not matter. And there's, there's room in the conversation for that, right? It is not like Tony Finau shouldn't have 12 wins and it's, and you know, he's been cheated out of, out of eight, you know, eight wins because of luck. Like there's things you're always in control of some things that can have made that luck not matter. Right. And it just, it felt like he has done plenty of those things in, in final rounds. Uh, you know, bad, badly timed bogey or whatnot. But it is a, it, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm sure you get this too. Like when you go to a tournament, the reminder of like what it looks like to see a tucked pin at 196 yards over a bunker with like water left. And like when the guy hits it to 20 feet, how good of a shot that looks like in person. And on TV, it's just like, okay, yeah, whatever. It should have hit it closer if you really wanted to make birdie. Should have won. And it just like, Adding all of those up, God, it's just incredibly boring to like think about the probability and the variance and all those things. But it, you know, if we're talking about these guys' careers over long term and, and and trying to decide what this all means, like that's just a that's what that's the name of the whole game. Like the whole game is finding out how to get point one shots better on each shot, right? Like that's the whole that's the the name of the whole game. And ironically, like you, the best look at that is over a tour player's shoulder. And uh, I think we should hash this out, you and me, is because the last time I had that look was caddying for Joel at the Scottish Open, <laughs> which you were probably supposed to do uh, if you didn't have vacation plans. And so it ended up benefiting me. And I, I really had a, a look I had not had before. And yes, I caddied for Martin Trainer unsuccessfully, different golfer, different golf course, different time in his career. But I caddied for Joel a couple weeks ago. And it was on a very firm, very windy Renaissance club, like hard test that like, I think Xander won it at, I don't know, nine under or something like seven under. And like Joel shot seven over. (laughs) And frankly, that felt like a decent showing because it is just so damn hard. And that's where the whole hitting it to 20 feet, like looking over his shoulder and understanding like where he saw the places where he could attack a golf course, we could gain those 0.1 shots per approach. Like that's how you understand where luck comes into play, where, where good shots actually are bad shots, stuff like that. Um, I feel bad that I, I, I had to take that job from you or rather you gave it to me, but I'll, I'll it take it on the last. It was not going to work. It really was not. It was going to, I had to work two different semi vacations around that. It was, it was not going to work. Also, Joel told me the job was not mine. So whatever that that's all Joel. We, I do want to, I want to debrief on the full experience there, but I want to tell a quick female story now that I think is a, a uh, worth looking back on. Now there's a legend in the amateur golf scene. His name is Paul Simpson and he's like 68, 69, maybe 70 years old now. He's played in, I think, 66 USGA events. He's won the U.S. Senior Am. He's won the, the British Senior Am. The most unassuming person you'll ever see. You, you would see this guy. If, if he told you he was one of the best golfers in the world, you would totally laugh. And uh, I, I, got the, I, got a, I was fortunate to play a practice round with him a couple years ago, and we've stayed in touch. And he talked to me a lot about positive attitude. I kept picking his brain on how the heck you compete in so many USGA championships, how you have such an unbelievable amateur career. And he talked so much about confidence, positivity, and understanding, like, basically what I'm starting to call the pop a shot rule. Like, I'm pretty good at pop a shot in an arcade game. I'm good. If I miss three in a row, I don't freak out. I just, I'm like, okay, I'll actually speed my pace up a little bit here. Here's a challenge. I'll come back from this. And I don't think that way on a golf course. Why is that? 
And he just kind of gave this whole speech and we had this big long conversation about confidence and all that. After the Genesis happened last year when Finau lost to Max Homa in the playoff, he shot 64 in that final round. And he said afterward in the interview on the, on the 14th green or whatever hole that was, he said, as I look back on the week, next couple days there will be a lot to grow from. Today's round was pretty special for me. Made some key putts in regulation to keep myself in it. I fell short, but a lot of positives. And he texted our group thread after that. And he said, I hope you guys watched the playoff yesterday at Riviera. Finau lost, but did you see how positive he was in the final interview? It was the perfect attitude. And since then, Tony Finau's won three times. And I just, I, I took that away. Like, dude, after I experienced heartbreak in golf, there's no possible way I look back. I'm like, oh, there was a lot of positives to grow from that. No, I beat myself up for like six months. And I just found that noteworthy that a very competitive person with a lot of success saw that interview and thought that. And seeing Finau's quotes this week, too, about like, who, who has lost more than me? Like, no one. And I've kept my, you know, kept my cool, kept my confidence, and here we are. And I just wanted to shout that out. That's, I, I'm very happy for Tony. He seems like a very nice guy to root for. He's definitely a fan favorite. Uh, I like him. I think he's a media favorite. He always levels up like your job is at times different but at times very similar to my job and some of the best moments that we can have are when people level up with us like yes tony you're one of the best golfers in the world but you can actually like you can stoop down to my level and talk to me about it straight um that's one of the best best characteristics characteristics i think a tour player can have he has to just convince himself that he needs to be positive. I think that's one thing that a lot of tour pros do. Like they actually might be on the inside really feeling negative, but if they can on the outside emit positivity, they know that that's the best move for their caddy towards their family, towards their children. It sounds like Tony thinks a lot about his children on the golf course. Like he has his children's initials on his golf ball. He's always thinking about his family on the golf course. And so like his post round interview yesterday was frankly, as genuine as those conversations get. He said like, if I can fail in front of my kids and still win, holy cow, I've really kind of taught them a lesson. Those post-round interviews are getting more and more emotional the more that Amanda Renner does. Um, she's doing a great job of them, but that one really kind of hit home for me. I was like, holy cow, yeah, this guy acknowledged his losing, but just in time to really acknowledge his winning. At this point, I do want to read. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed, honestly, with Randy. Uh, I, I asked him about it. Do we have a statement? We do have a statement, and his statement was... When the facts change, I'm willing to change. Okay, so that that is the statement that he gave me uh, privately. He said, "Like, look, I I, I got to think about some things, right?" And the 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 whole point of this trip is that we're not supposed to talk, think about pro golf right now. So I, I respect his privacy at this time and wanting to spend a little time thinking about it and how he reevaluates things. But I respected that that he he may have to. I don't I don't even necessarily think he has to admit he was wrong. He just now it's a reevaluation of, of Finau's career to this point because wins matter to, to to Randy a lot more than they matter to me. And I don't know where you stand on that scale uh, in terms of what what really matters to you. It is hard to like look at Finau his resume and think that there's not something major missing from it. I think it was just a matter of time before it started happening like this. Yeah, I mean wins wins have to matter. They they do. They that, you know, Tigers, we know how many he's won. We know how many Phil has won. We know how many DJ and, and Rory, 21 wins, right? Like, that's been gigantic. Um, I just I'm surprised clarify, at Randy, though, though. I just want to clarify, though, that, like, they sometimes I feel like they think a T3 can feel like more of a failure than a T20. And, like, putting yourself close to it and not pulling it off is almost more of an indictment than it is a signal of good golf. That's kind of where the argument, I think, stems from. Well, and maybe the worst performance 
in one of those T2 moments or solo second moments was Riviera. But like Max should have made the three foot birdie putty. At yeah, like Tony should never have been in that playoff. The one thing that I think Randy would endear him to Tony is the fact that Tony is a hooper. He is a tall hooper who doesn't like to bang in the post. And that speaks Randy to me. I'm really surprised by that. I asked Finau about his basketball game, I guess in February, it was right after the Genesis this year. And he's, he said he would put himself over any other tour pro one-on-one, but he doesn't like to bang down low. He's a shooter, which is great. And now that DJ is not no longer on the tour, I think that statement really, uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would take Fina probably against any of them. We do have another question here from uh, D. Leander Kirk. I hope I am emphasizing the right points of that handle. He says, who wins first, Cam Young or Will Zalatoris? Gosh, that is such a good question. Uh, at this point... I feel like Cam Young could bag like a FedEx Cup win this fall, right? He's he's he could playing win the FedEx better. Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's playing better golf than Zalatoris, I think, just consistently right now. But that that is a really tough one. Um, I think like Will his game could last. I don't even know if that's even fair to say his game could last longer, but his stroke is not there consistently enough. But he plays it like really well at really tough courses. Give me Cam. I'm taking Cam too, man. I mean, we're talking T3 at the Heritage, T2 at Wells Fargo, T3 at the PGA Championship. Then he went T60 cut-cut over the Memorial U.S. Open in Scottish, and I think that that threw me off. I was like, okay, he had the hot wave. Now he's solo second at the Open Championship, T2 at the Rocket Mortgage. Like, this dude is, I mean, I, I don't know if this is bold yet to say, I would not take 10 other golfers in the world right now over Cameron Young. It sounds like you're feeling a President's Cup team. Oh, for sure. With him yeah. on it. We got, sure. well, we got a question there about captain's picks, and we'll get to that on the back half. But I actually think like the, the President's Cup like shakes out unbelievably easy for Davis Love right now. I think it is, if you look at it, it's like the top 12 are going to make it. It, it. We'll get there. Unless you're taking Tom Hoagie, like the top 12 are going to make it. But <laughs> In terms of Cam, what... I keep thinking about uh, this whole year, and this might be completely unique to me, but I went to the Evans Scholar Invitational last fall just outside of Chicago at the the Glen Club, and Cam won that event. I think it was his second win in a row on the Corn Ferry Tour, and it was like, like, that's 13 months ago. 13 months ago, Cam Young was known to just about nobody, and he was on the Corn Ferry Tour. And now we're talking about him winning the FedEx Cup as a not crazy possibility because of how the points get juiced in the playoffs. And that's just a reminder of how <laughs> just how deep golf pro golf goes. We say it all the time. Pro golf is super duper deep. Um, but like that week, he was beating Mito Pereira, right? Mito Pereira damn near won the PGA Championship. Um, I believe Tron was like was running back that those standings for you guys a couple couple months ago. Yeah. But nonetheless, like there's someone on the Corn Ferry Tour right now who's ready to come take all the money that's going to be doled out on the PGA Tour next year. And so I know when you talk about money, it's all related to live at this point, but like there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of golfers who are ready to try and do what Cam Young has done this year. And for a reference point on what I just said, here's the top 10 players strokes gained over the last six months. It goes Rory, Scotty Scheffler, Fitzpatrick, Cam Smith, Shane Lowry, Xander, JT, Zalatoris, Cantlay, Rom Cameron Young. So he's 11th on that list. And I'm surprised to see Zalatoris that high up on it. I know he's just balled out 
at major championships, um, which you know don't necessarily carry extra weight when it comes to strokes gain. But it is just a I, I don't I'm never tempted to like pick him in any pools or anything on PGA Tour weeks. Only when the majors roll around do I want to pick him. And uh, I know he had a T5 at the Memorial. Uh, but other than that, it's just not, it's, it's a totally, it's a weird animal. I don't know how to describe. He's kind of like Kepka light or Oosthuizen light uh, when it comes to normal PGA Tour weeks and what he does in majors. Obviously, those guys have won them, but we're early in the Zalatoris experiment. Yeah, I'd like to see him, oh, I sound like, like Randy, but I'd like to see him freaking win. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, like, of course, we got to give these guys a little bit of a leash. It, it takes everybody a, a decent amount of time to win, but I would just like to see him get it done because it might happen. Like, he might go one week and win by four. He might win by six one week. Like, I think he has that type of ceiling. I just don't know when it's going to happen. And you start thinking, okay, when th- there's a there is a question in the mentions. Is Cam Young the new Tony Finau because he's finishing second everywhere? Uh, I believe that was a bit in jest, but still, like the more you finish second, the more questions that pop up asking you why haven't you finished first. They're not fair well, questions. <laughs> a quick break to check in with our friends at Precision Pro who happen to be sponsoring season eight of Taurus Sauce that we are filming right now. They are, of course, the official rangefinder of NLU. They've just released the first customizable rangefinder in golf, allowing you to build an NX10 that is uniquely yours. It features an interchangeable plate, allows you to easily swap between your favorite designs and customize your rangefinder in seconds. You're going to see a lot of that when we are finally done editing Taurus Sauce season eight uh, this fall. You can choose from an ever-growing collection of designs. We've got our own no laying up and strap ones that make your nx10 unique to you they're constantly releasing new skins including limited edition ones meaning you won't have trouble finding a style you love for your nx10 not only looks great the quality is unmatched the upgraded internals new lcd display make locking onto your target easier than ever an external slope switch makes it tournament legal and the improved magnetic cart mount means your rangefinder won't be falling off the cart the nx10 has everything you need to go improve your game and look good doing it and as fellow golfers Precision Pro has you covered. They got industry-leading customer service, a 30% trade-in program, and a warranty for each product. You will not find a better team to join. Head to precisionprogolf.com to customize your NX10 now and use promo code NOLANGUP to get $20 off. Upgrade your game and show your style on the course with the NX10. Swing with confidence, hit more greens, Precision Pro Golf. Let's get back to Sean Zock. We were talking about this in this uh, similar vein with Scotty Scheffler last year. And look what happened. (laughs) A year from now, it could be an entirely different conversation with either of these two guys. And it is well-timed when it comes to thinking about U.S. team golf with what the U.S. team has lost over the last, you know, several weeks and months. And thankfully, there are some dudes that are ready to step up. Now, is it at nearly as deep as it was at one point? It's not. And we can, again, we'll get to that. But that's just worth noting. A couple other questions. Kutch T, how do Big Tone's balls feel on Randy's face as he dunks all over them? Sorry, I don't you need you to answer that one. But uh, that was sent in. Tyler Munson7 said, considering the course field, timing, etc., is it the worst three-week stretch of the season? Oh, well... Does the season include October? I'm going to say no. I think the fall season is viewed with, uh, you know, an asterisk by pretty much everyone. I think it does. I think it might be the worst, which is too bad because I'm from the Midwest. I, I, I enjoy going to these events. I've been to the Detroit event a few times. But, gosh, the field in Minnesota was really bad, way worse than I thought it was going to be, and it's always kind of bad. Um, the field in Detroit, not that great. It, it it really tells you when 
Scotty Scheffler goes to Greece when the Morikawas go to Paris uh, in London, I believe. And Sam Burns, like like all the best pros left the open or like, no, we're going on vacation. That kind of that should tell Jay Monahan something, right? Right. Yeah. No, I think uh, we can we can talk into well again. We we'll, we got a lot of live stuff and a lot of future PGA Tour stuff. But well, all right. Let's let is it uh, unless you have anything more from the uh, from the Rocket Mortgage that you'd like to discuss. I'm I'm fine to move on to uh, and, and stick to sports. Uh, well, the only thing that fits is not Rocket Mortgage, but Sean Crocker was ripping it in the Dunvegan yesterday night uh, after his victory in St Andrews. That has been the best part of me visiting St. Andrews for summer is just the kind of people who show their face in town and then the, the magnetic pull of the old course and adjacent to that, the Dunvegan, like you just are always going to find someone in there. And so he won the hero open and they wrote his name on the chalkboard outside. And then suddenly he was just at the bar buying Coronas. And I don't know, it was great to see him having a good time. I went in there and, and introduced myself and said what up and nothing more that I could contribute other than uh, he stayed there until just about 1 a.m. We, we do got to talk about your, your summer in St. Andrews and how it, it is the set. Like, I, just like talking to you about some of this stuff, like, oh, yeah, you're down at the uh, AIG Women's Open Qualifier today, and there's a Women's Scottish Open, the Men's Scottish Open that you caddied in. You've had a very, very eventful summer, which is one of the reasons I wanted to catch up with you. Sean can send it. I, I've played golf with Sean. Uh, I was happy to, uh, happy to see. He's a big personality. Happy to see him uh, rack up his first win. And it's, I don't know, it's always cool to just see somebody hole a putt and start like nearly crying, like just knowing how much crazy shit goes into contributing to that moment. Um, and to do it very near the home of golf is, uh, is, is very cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how do you decide how you're going to spend your sports slash golf watching time in the, in the current era? How does, how does it work? And how's your hierarchy work? Oh, well, uh, it's a lot of it is driven by my job, which, uh, I find it hard to cover the birdies and bogeys of live golf right now. So uh, I I often am watching the PGA tour, but I'm really not watching on Saturday this time of year. (laughs) Frankly, I'm kind of catching, well, especially now that we're five hours ahead of the Eastern time, catching things really late here in Scotland. I'm definitely checking the leaderboard. I'm interested at who's taking the money, who's winning. I'm vaguely intrigued that the four aces are the best team and that they are, they're showing us what team golf slash F1 celebrations can look like. But I, this answer should show you just how chaotic that experience is of like, okay, how much do I watch of live golf? How much do I watch? And now that they're both finishing on the same day, it's been kind of easy, yeah. right? To tune in for the Canadian Open on Sunday as Rory wins without any distractions and to tune in for, I guess that would have been the first live event um, if you needed to, if you wanted to, as Charles Schwartzel wins a day prior, uh, five time zones earlier. So yeah, it's a very convoluted answer that comes out to like, holy cow, if they're, if they're actually competing now from the same time zone on the same day, you don't pay a full attention to either of them. And that has to be a net negative. I think one of the many things I, I don't like about it has to do a lot with the stuff they've gotten right. And one of those things they've gotten right is going up against the right events. Like they can absolutely yes. stunt on the fields of the John Deere and the Rocket Mortgage and RBC was really good. But like going forward and a lot of events in the fall when the PJ Tour events and the fields are horrible, it is they seem to be extremely well timed. And 
Look, was it all like a big clown show and shit show leading up to it? It was. Yes. <laughs> I have to admit almost everything from it starting, like from the moment they started, the stuff that I thought was going to be the hardest, getting so many of the details right and getting the, uh, you know, there's there's plenty that I think they still get way, 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 way wrong. But I'm just am- kind of amazed and in- in- impressed, if that's the right word, at how much stuff they've gotten right. Sustainability, the actual players they've gotten. I have a lot of questions about that, but... I'm all very, I'm very confused. I find myself very confused because so much of what I experience with Liv involves you know, a lot of in-person conversations with people I know that follow golf closely and don't follow golf closely and a lot of Twitter. And I don't, it, it's, it's very, very hard to say. And we got a question about this actually from Joe Corsini. He said, is Liv actually working or is it just a bunch of bots dominating the conversation? Also, can we get more Brooks as a bitch moments? Okay, but back to his question. <laughs> is Liv working uh, or are just the bots dominating the conversation? I think Liv is marketing itself incredibly well. And what I mean, like that's a super generic term, uh, but what I mean is like it, they, they signed a bunch of players or came to handshake verbal agreements a long time ago. Like there were about a dozen that were basically finalized in February before Phil opened his mouth, right? And so the fact that Henrik Stenson joined two weeks ago could have been news in April. It could have been news in May, but they have decided the slow trickle of news will create perceived momentum. And I think that they've absolutely done that. Like that's how you remain relevant is hosting your first event and then letting Brookline calm everything down and then announcing Brooks a couple days later. And having Brooks and Bryson and P. Reed, like the wait, slow trickle. Wait, no, no, that conversation didn't start until that Monday that he signed. That, that's what he told us. That that he hadn't even thought about it till then. But continue, sorry. Yes, <laughs> my mistake. Uh, you know that that is how you remain relevant. And I think stretching it, like you said, making the most of specific weeks. The one thing I am, I don't think the, t- the term optimistic is not right. I'm. I'm cautious about is the team event that Liv is going to host the eighth event that's going to happen at the end of October. It's happening against the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. <laughs> now, I the, the only reason I'm cautious about this is because Liv will have been building for seven events uh, for about four months, and suddenly we're going to have the pro version of you know what we see at the NCAA match play where you have these I don't know I don't think it's going to be individual matches but teams competing against teams for this 50 million dollar purse and all of those guys are going to be invested you're going to have these four quarter finalists matches uh, they're going to have four the top four teams waiting for teams to play them so you might have the four aces walking around like looking at the two teams that are competing for the right to play the four aces that will be so weird that I think it might be really fun. Um, and I think it's going to happen during a week where we generally don't give a damn about what's happening in Bermuda, all due respect. And I think that that week, it'll it'll be right before the midterm elections. It's going to be happening at a Trump course. That week is going to be absolutely freaking bananas. And I think the golf might be the, fir- might be the first time we actually care about the birdies and bogeys. Because I, I don't think we do right now. I kind of want to. Like this is not yeah. <laughs> going away. It doesn't 
it's not, you know, you can't ignore it and pretend that, you know, my stance on this is going to change the way it's viewed and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, if it's going to be part of the golf world, I want to care about the birdies and bogeys. I have tuned into at least a part of probably 75% of the rounds. And it's it, weirdly, so how it works, like for us, this is probably not that interesting to people, but like we schedule stuff opposite bad PGA Tour events, events that like don't need to be covered that badly. The reason we're in, in Sweden right now is we picked this stretch of golf that is very missable. And when we scheduled this, we did not know that the that live be, Trump Bedminster was going to be a thing. So if the golf world is going to get divided like this, I'd like to be able to care about both products. But I think what we're going to get is a 25% less interesting PGA Tour. And we can get to why. And I think a lot of that reason why is it's not because my favorite players or the best players have gone, but like the villains that make golf really interesting are all gone. Like they're all, they all went to one place, right? And I've tried to, to tune into the live stuff and watch it and care about the birdies and bogeys. And I watched Patrick Reed hit a ridiculous awesome three wood into the par five on Saturday or whatever that was. That's the only shot I can recall like, of any of the stuff I've watched. Like, I just can't even remember it because there's just no context. There's no, it's an exhibition. I felt the same exact way about Tiger's little hit and giggle at Payne's Valley in the fall of 2020. It was just like, just putting in like big name golfers on a golf course and playing doesn't mean that much to me if there's no context to it. Is it a five year, 10 year plan that maybe at the end of six years or whatever it is, we care that the four aces have won three of the last four titles and they have a dynasty. Maybe we get there. We do, but like the beginning phase is really, really tough. And it's really hard to get excited about watching this golf that I, I just don't know what it means. Yeah, well, I think if the live golfers started to get pissed off, they're all just like so happy right now. <laughs> very 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 joyous at the you know the Saudi it's the Arabian recruiting phase it's the recruiting <clears throat> phase the honeymoon phase and well like, they're treating them great now as great as possible and everyone around them so that the word gets out to the other players as well as to how great everything is over here you guys are missing out yeah and since it's so happy happy joy joy like it doesn't feel as cutthroat as the golf that we've known pro golf to be and since everyone's making money and the players are kind of lying about how much fun they're having and David Faraday and Jerry Fultz are like gaslighting us, like, <laughs> like for lack of a better term, that's what's so tough. I'm with you. Like, actually, I do want to care because, well, for one, you and I make a living in some ways opining on whether Henrik Stenson's career is Hall of Fame worthy or not. And at this point... There's no way in hell it will be, but if he played another five years on the PGA Tour and contended in more majors and was a successful Ryder Cup captain, yeah, maybe he would be a Hall of Fame type of golfer. And the same goes for a number of players on the Live Golf roster. And so what's interesting, though, is like I just said that that's what we care about, you and I as golf media and golf media Jason, I don't know, you guys fanalists, right? We're golf fans, um, right? I mean, it's like... But that's the thing. Golf yeah. fans care about this shit. Like, my my friends do. Your friends do. And since they can't have the same conversations that you and I have for our jobs, the whole thing is void of meaning. Are you, are you saying golf fans do care about Liv or are, are enjoying Liv overall? Is that the sentiment you're getting? No, they care about Henrik Stenson being a Hall of Fame golfer, too. Yeah. They, they care okay. about, like the golf that they're watching has meaning. They, they need it to have meaning. Like there's, it's one, it, it feels like every single week there is meaning 
uh, contextualized during one of those post round interviews with Amanda Renner. And we're not getting that. We're not getting that. Henrik Stenson used his post win yesterday to make a dumb little joke about losing the captaincy for Ryder Cup Europe. And he was asked by an interviewer that I don't recognize. And it was a kind of BS question. And so we're, we're getting kind of slapped across the face with this fake meaning. And it's impossible for us at home to contextualize. So it feels like there's nothing to for us to care about. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think eventually maybe we do get there. And again, it, it, at no point do we ever give off the impression that every week on the PGA tour matters and that every week the PGA tour nails all of these things and delivers on any of this. We've had a huge problem with this over the years. I think PGA tour has missed out on a huge part of the entertainment factor. A lot of the stuff that live has gotten right is involved in the entertainment factor. And it kind of came to me this week. It feels like this will make a lot of sense for the people that aren't willing to give it much thought. And I don't mean that in nearly of a demeaning a, as, of a way as it probably sounds. But if you're like, oh, well, why wouldn't I want to watch like Phil Mickelson play a, you know, a team event right here at, at blah, blah, blah golf course. And if you wanted to, and I, I honestly think like the conversations even move past all the sports washing stuff and human rights and all that stuff to just truly being like, let's talk about the entertainment value of this, right? And I think it has a chance and maybe is already succeeding at being more interesting for casual sports fans. I don't even want to say casual golf fans. I think if you like, if the, if the, the result of it truly doesn't matter and you want to watch some somewhat entertaining sports, this would make some sense. Now, I think like in October when they have the team finale and it's up against the NFL, I don't think there's going to be many of those fans tuning in. And the numbers are not great at all at watching this. At the same time, I just think like for the hardcore golf fans, which we are, uh, which I think we try to represent, that's who we try to like make our content for, or people that follow golf week to week, I don't think this is going to be more entertaining. And it's a weird microcosm of like, I feel like for years and years and years, the PGA Tour has been trying to capture this fan that Liv is probably going to be able to capture. And, they've, and that's been our beef. It's like, dude, just focus on your hardcore fans. And they didn't do a very good job of that. And they didn't capture this casual fan. And Liv has swooped in and done all of this. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's very confusing. And I get a lot of tweets and I understand them. I truly understand them for like, well, I don't get why you don't like it. These guys are doing exactly what they, you said they should be doing. <laughs> you're right. Like, you're right. A, a commercial-free broadcast and all that stuff is better. Like, it, 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 it works better. I have a problem with the shotgun start, uh, let me, let me, let's back up. What, what else is working for you with Liv? What's working for you? What, what comes to mind in terms of like, you know what, they're get either they're getting that right or it's working for you specifically. Hmm. Well, like I said earlier, like the, the trickle of news, that's what's working. But what, what has me going is not a whole lot. Like I, uh, I want to come up with a better answer for you. Like I'm not an F1 fan. I didn't, it's not that I'm against F1, which probably will get me booted off this podcast forever. <laughs> but I just like fell into love with the English Premier League at the same time everyone was falling in love with F1. Um, but like what could work is this whole relegation system. Again, that's just so far down the line. It's hard to take serious. So what's working is is the fact that you already said it earlier. It's happening when I'm maybe not as dialed into the PGA Tour. It's happening during weeks, and it's going to, like you said, it's going to go up against football. Like, will anyone care? It feels like the month of August is a, a dire important month for the PGA Tour. Like, no live events, 
own the month of August, own the next 30 days, crown your FedEx Cup champion. And you know what? Unfortunately, the individual champion from Liv is going to get just as much money as Scotty Scheffler is going to get for winning the FedEx Cup. That's what's tough for me, man. It's like, I don't really like any of the golf, the broadcast comes well, and goes and, for me. And we can see around the corner a little bit for like what this means. Like, again, I, I've said this many times is like, what makes this work, the piles and piles and piles and piles and piles of Saudi money is what's also going to make it at the end of the road be the least interesting it possibly could be, which is they can't get everyone. They, they're not going to get everyone. And may, I, Listen, I could be wrong there. Rory, Jordan, JT may all change their minds and flip and, and all that stuff. And if they do, it's going to be very, very weird. But at best, we're going to end up with fractured and weird golf happening all over the place. And listen, golf has been like that over the years. It was... The PGA Tour and European Tour were more fractured over the years than, than they are now, even in recent years before the Strategic Alliance and all that stuff. And I understand that. I understand there are people out there that say, like, oh, you're rooting for the PGA Tour monopoly or congrats on rooting for this monopoly. It's like, like, dude, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for the monopoly. I, I, I'm rooting for the most interesting golf. It happens to be this. Like, that's what I think is probably what's most likely to create the most interesting golf is... Most of the the best players in golf playing, uh, you know, a, a schedule that makes sense in the time period that makes sense, which I think the tours finally got around to, and that that's I guess a big gap in this conversation is that it took the tour, uh, you know, until Live made this happen to actually change the season to make yeah. actual sense. But you like you were a ten year old boy wanting a nice new bike, and your stepdad wasn't giving it to you, and then you're your 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 real dad who left your family at two years old came back and finally gave you the shiny new bike and so you're glad that you have the bike but you got it from the wrong character and that might be too much of an analogy but it it just it feels like we are slowly getting some of the chaos that we pine for but we're not really liking it a quick break to check in with our friends at Cash App. It is the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send or request money from friends and family when they owe you money for dinner, things like that. Big Randy and I actually have a little bet series going on this trip uh, where, you know, we it's a weird proposal where if you lose a bet, the winner gets to pick something that you have to invest in. They get to pick either a stock or Bitcoin or whatever you want to invest in. And they can pick whatever you want. Randy's actually really mean. He maybe picked Peloton, which is not doing so hot. But you can invest in any stock or buy Bitcoin with just $1. It comes with a debit card. You can customize Cash App. will laser print it and mail it to you. It comes with free discounts on places you love called Boosts. If you use referral code no laying up when you sign up, not only does it give you a free $15, it sets aside $10 for each sign up to Youth on Course. So the more people we get using code no laying up when registering, not only are you getting $15, but you're helping to support junior golf. So get signed up now. Uh, we do a lot of live show giveaways with Cash App. They've been a great supporter of our podcast. Use promo code No Laying Up. That's Cash App. Let's get back to Sean Zock. I have been and was and am a big proponent of the PGL, which includes this exact format, which is stolen from the directly from the PGL. But what I liked about that was the thought of like, how do they actually come about forming these teams? How do they draft it? How do they strategize? If you made a, a Bill Simmons trade value column for all of golf. You know, is who's who's a good old player in in the game right now? Who's in their late 30s or something like that? But let's just pretend that Phil was still good. How much is Phil worth compared to a Cameron Young? Like, is who's more valuable? Like, that would be super interesting. Trades, relegation, team ownership, contracts, all that stuff would be 
And it just, Neil made the analogy of it feels like they're, they're, uh, they're building the plane while flying it. And like the, the teams just change week to week without any process to it. Like, am I supposed to be pumped for the four aces that just like, I don't even know how they came up with this team. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is sneakily gotten way less like pub than it yes. deserved. It, the, the, it's horrible. Uh, I want to give you one like half drunk hypothetical. Love it. Now, <laughs> I wrote this down and so I have to read it a little bit. But so Live Golf right now, They've contracted, I don't know what the number is, like 27 to 30 players probably. Greg Norman is convinced that they'll have 48 contracted players for next year. They're trying to coexist with the PGA Tour. I want, this is more of a who says no scenario. Jay Monahan, he goes, he gets Xander, Rory, Cantlay, Morikawa, Rom, Scheffler, Hovland, JT Spieth, Fitz, Sam Burns, and Finau. And he says, Greg, I want three teams. I got 12 guys. You're going to have 12 stars, but we're buying up three teams in live golf that are PGA tour teams. And he goes to those guys and he says, guys, storm that castle, take that money. You guys earn the money. You, you like, we're, we're not giving you enough of the pip storm the castle. And, and I just want to know who says no, because Greg will say yes. And the players will get paid. And the PGA Tour will look like the superior tour to the players that are playing on Live Golf. That's interesting. And you would say that those players would retain the rights to play on the PGA Tour, but the other guys that left for Live would not. Massive, I, I, massive I, I want to lawsuit. explore this. Like it, it is completely unrealistic, but that does not mean I don't want to explore this because this is a really interesting thought exercise. Because those teams would win, right? You would have to think so. The majority, majority, you know, of the time. This might be a question for Data Golf, but like a team of Xander, Rory, JT, and Morikawa or Rom, God, they're going to beat the four aces. <laughs> I, think. I almost started with what you got to remember about the four aces, though. They play really good <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> but it, it is super interesting. And uh, in terms of like, I, I put this question down to ask you of like, what should the tour do next? Because I get a lot of those suggestions and I honestly like don't I think about this like all day every day, not quite literally, but a lot every day. And I don't like have a great answer now in terms of that. And what you just threw out is like super provocative. Again, very unrealistic, but tying that in of there's still some sentiment out there that they the tour shouldn't have banned players or is gonna have to come to an agreement with Liv at some point. And I still struggle to see the downstream effect of all of that if they if the tour caves at any point at this moment. How do you see that? Well, I think Jay Monahan has too much pride. I think uh, it will have been a victory for Greg Norman. And I actually said this to Swantech the other day. Like, if you give Greg an inch, he might want to take a mile. And if you concede some sort of merger that might not be enough. I think that's the the real danger. And I'm sure there are people in PGA tour headquarters that are saying that, like I actually cited the book. Like if you, if you give a, a mouse a cookie, he's going to want some milk. Did you read that growing up? No, no but I, you I know what you're getting book. at. <laughs> Either way, it's the same thing. I, I don't see a scenario in which that little victory for live golf in this like very rapid takeover of the game um, is enough. It's not sufficient enough for the uh, hungry hounds, I guess, there at Live Golf. What 
what could the tour do to like fight it off? I don't even I actually know. talked to. <laughs> okay. So I think that's fair. I've got like, everyone keeps talking about the world ranking points. That's a huge question mark. People keep talking about the masters and the majors. That's also a question mark. Well, I don't think they want to muddy the waters, but I did talk to a tour player during the week of the Scottish open. This is a former pack member. And he basically said, cancel the PIP. The PIP needs to go. And now, as far as I know, the player impact program was only guaranteed to happen for two years. So I think it can be done after this year. Cancel that. Have that money go spread it out in like 150 grand stipends to tour players as their salary. Now, that is not like a, you know... That is not going to solve all the ills of the PGA Tour and players jumping. But I do think that uh, I was told by that player that the amount of money that 112th player in the world is getting in sponsorship dollars and stuff right now is just lower than it used to be. And so the expenses have definitely gone up in the modern world of trying to fly private, trying to all these last minute flights and everything. I think the expenditure like salary that you could give tour players, the top 125 and the top 25 from the Corn Ferry Tour, if you give them 150 to 200K, that nets out to like three, like $30 million. You've got $20 million from the PIP left over. Cancel the PIP, give these guys a salary and say, okay, we're the challenging tour. Like earn what you eat. We're going to put you out here. You're going to have earned your salary. That'll cover your expenses for the year. Now go and prove how damn good you are. Like earn your legacy, earn your victories in the PGA Tour and earn your money. That's That might be exactly what the tour is already kind of saying to these guys. So that might not be enough of a change. But like you need to kind of double down on like we're the earn it legacy driven tour. And if you want to go play there like and take their money, first off, you're, there's not going to be much left over for you. And then secondly, like, yeah, this is going to be the prove it tour. That might be too simple. It really might be. Well, and I think they have leaned on that. And I just think it also comes down to like, hey, if you're Brooks Kepka and your knee hurts a little bit and like you've you've won a lot, but like it might not be there anymore. And I can make something that has several commas in it and a lot of digits in it, and I don't have to wonder if it's there anymore. I don't think that changes the answer to that question, right? And you're, the problem with the pit is exactly what's happened. It's free and clear. You, Dustin Johnson gets his money, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Brooks Kepke gets his money. Phil gets his money. There is no tie to the PGA Tour beyond that, and it, they've paid 12 and a half, whatever, $15 million, whatever, just on guys to go away. And... So yeah, it, it, I don't know if it's that if that's necessarily an effective tool in retaining guys, but I do think it is like uh, uh, enough to say to the Colin Morikawas and whatnot. Like you, you're getting a bad example because he was 11th, but with Comcast and, and all the stuff that comes in, like you're gonna get paid really well. Like you're gonna make a lot of money on this tour, and it's it's we're not gonna make as much over there. But like if this is how you want to fulfill your career, this is you know and then. Enough of the dude, like, again, this is a credit to live. They've given off the impression that they've pulled off way more than they actually have. They've gotten interesting people. They've gotten big names, but they haven't gotten the big talent. And that's where I think things really hinge on Cam Smith. And if the rumors are true, if the belief is true that the bunch of the Aussies are going after the Tour Championship or after the President's Cup, that is when the conversation really changes because... There's a very, very, very current major champion and top player in the game that leaves 
That's, that's just different than everything that's happened to this point. It has not been about the talent leaving that has left a, a crater hole behind, maybe Dustin Johnson aside. Yeah, and I think the tour as well, like the, the battle is, of course, trying to retain talent. That's maybe the most singular battle, but there are just these extraneous battles like the PR battle, the, the popularity battle that like they – should be able to win. They should be able to beat live golf in terms of popularity, uh, morality. Like they should honestly, Sully, they should be going to you and saying, pick two guys from our president's cup team that you want to have on the pod. We're going to hook you up with that. Make, make your stars as accessible on the PGA tour. The people you've convinced to say, make them the biggest stars that they can be. Whereas like Live Golf is kind of doing that. Yeah. Like they're trying to make Patrick Reed look better than he's ever looked. And <laughs> like they're look they're for sure looking out for these guys. I think the tour could do a better job of that. They need honestly, like it sounds weird to say this, but like they need Morikawa to spend an hour with you guys in an interview on the podcast right before the President's Cup. They need to do that with four different guys. Yeah. And you know, Phil made these comments too, and I, I it's one of the few things Phil has said over the past several months that I really agree with and, and can recognize the truth in and not see the propaganda in, although there is some, I'm sure. But talking about live being a startup and being able to be flexible on some things, like things have changed week to week, both in how they do the teams, which I still can't really explain to you, but how they've done the leaderboard graphics and how they've done the coverage and, and all these things that make it make a lot more sense. And the, the PGA Tour is not good at changing things on the fly and their broadcast partners are not good. And the hole that is left in the commercial, like the, the commercial thing just becomes a totally different thing. And we actually got this question uh, from DGVT Golf. He said, we all asked for more golf shots and coverage. Liv did it, but it sucks because there's no context, no course eval or story. He said, my take, the PGA Tour coverage is better, but we just need less commercials and more shots, just not an entirety day of exclusively th uh, shots he says thoughts that's what i keep like i keep seeing all of these <laughs> haven't shots. you been saying that for years <laughs> yeah but i keep seeing all these shots on the live broadcast and everyone being and myself being like why am i not enjoying this more like why am i not and there's a storytelling aspect that's missing from their coverage and i think i think you can tie a decent amount of this back to the shotgun start and how it makes sense in a way if you just want to do a countdown of how many holes are remaining and all this stuff. But for real golf fans, we are used to seeing rounds accumulate. We're used to seeing, uh, you know, somebody three groups ahead go through 15 and seeing that pin and then waiting to see how the next guy plays it. And I just can't keep up with all the stuff going on all at once. So it's, I don't think the answer is just show me as many golf shots as possible devoid of context. Yeah. I mean, it's extremely dizzying. I think about what you said earlier, like, like a half hour ago when you said the best shot or the most memorable shot you saw this past weekend in live golf was some shot that Patrick Reed hit into a par five. You didn't even know the hole it was like, you didn't know the number of hole it was. I think I got I, it. Wrong. Honestly, <laughs> I don't even think you said a number. So like you, you, de you definitely didn't get it right. And that's the whole point is like, you didn't know what you were watching. Um, you of course could follow the last hour as Matthew Wolf like pushes Henrik Stenson. Um, but that was one of the things that I thought about when I was at the Live London event is I walked around Centurion Club and I was like, well, where are these scoreboards? W will there be a guy who wins? And he's on, he started on the third hole. So now he's on the second hole. Like, will he know that he's won? W because 
one of the biggest calling points is like, hey, you win, you get four mil. <laughs> like that's a gigantic calling card. So that putt is worth $4 million or whatever the difference would be between first and second. And so that's the most valuable putt that we're going to watch in pro golf this year. And he might not know that he's actually putting for that value. Like, that's what I was thinking. It's like, he might finish on the fourth hole and not have a clue that he's won the tournament. Uh, we haven't seen a live golf playoff yet. <laughs> I don't know if I want to, but like, that's news to me. The, the context <laughs> needs to be, <laughs> needs to be delivered. Or does it though? But that that's where I get back. Like this isn't competitive golf. Like it's an exhibition that they they hand out a lot of money for. And uh, we can get into some of the some of the news aspects of what they announced for next year and all that stuff as well. But I I would just like to commend us on making it this far into the episode without bringing up any politics, without bringing out DT in the tent with Marjorie Taylor Green, Tucker Carlson, the whole gang, the Let's Go Brandon chants, like. I th- we've privately begun go- begun calling it the Let's Go Branded Tour, um, which literally played out on the 16th tee. I actually know that whole number. Uh, and Andrew Johnstone asked, if Liv genuinely wanted to build a serious brand, have they made a huge error hitching their wagon to the most polarizing figure in America? Handle that one as you'd like. I'm happy to weigh it as well, because <laughs> there's almost no way to win this conversation, but... Yeah, I'll try and play a little devil's advocate to the, I think, the implied meaning behind the question. But like, yes, he was incredibly polarizing. But as a hype man, he's undefeated. <laughs> I mean, I was saying, that's actually a genius play, if I may say. I mean, to get <laughs> a portion of the population interested in it, put someone that has that kind of... Uh, leadership, uh, I, I, I should say cult leadership, uh, ahead of it, you're going to get some people to rally behind it, right? And I think, I mean, they're going all in on this thing, clearly. Like, it's all one side, which makes the PGA Tour look like the blue wave, if, if you will, which it's definitely not. So it, it's very confusing in that regard, but I think that helps make it make a little sense and get some interest in it. I think at one point, Liv got Trump to sign on for two golf courses to to be a gracious host, to be you know the disruptor that he probably thinks he is, and they love it. I don't think it will be treated as divisive. Now it could, like what I was saying earlier, that team events can be happening at D- Doral the last week of October, right before November election season. Like Trump might literally use that opportunity to announce he's running for president. Like he kind of teased it a little bit this week. And now now we are going off the deep end. But someone videotaped Trump asking, you know, what are your plans? Are you going to share us your plans? And he said, at a golf course, you're going to love what you see. We're going to announce soon. I could totally see him doing that at Trump Doral. I think they're going to be okay hitching their wagon to him because there's a lot of Trump people that love golf. And there are probably a lot of Trump supporters who will view this as like golf comma for us, you know, golf, but louder, but also for us, at least that's what he'll tell them. And there will be all these like parallel topics that can be pulled into it when, even if they don't make sense, like, Hey, these guys are small business owners. They're just doing what's right for their finances, for their families, for, you know, this is America and free markets. Even if that's kind of bogus, it's definitely bogus. Those align with, kind of what Trump was doing as a lead, uh, 
was trying to lead the country with. And so I don't see that way. I don't align myself with that side of the political spectrum. So it's going to be hard to like unbiasedly look at what he does with live golf. But yeah, it could be like a really dark fall for pro golf in that sense. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't. I, Let's I, not get depressed here. No, it, it is a, uh, it's just something that is extremely hard to discuss. There is no changing of minds on either side of that part of the conversation. And I, I just don't know how it's possible that uh, to keep, po- like literally how to keep politics out of this at this point. When you have like the scene that we just had this past week and are going to have this fall that you mentioned, that uh, it, it's not a fun area to wade into like it's just going to be incredibly divisive and that's that's not how i like my golf right it uh it's gosh it's 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 amazing how weird this conversation has gotten right and (laughs) and how there just doesn't seem to be a great answer for any of this and that's just where i just lose so much enthusiasm for pro golf going forward but there yeah i mean Jay Monahan's going to be asked about Trump's involvement in the game and he's going to have to sit on the fence about it. Like he's that's his job as a commissioner in this moment to sit on the fence about that, but he's not going to deep down actually be happy about Donald Trump getting back into pro golf because it's going to be against him. It's going to be on the opposite side of the tug of war uh, rope. And like that, like if Jay Monahan speaks up against Trump, in some ways, it's like speaking up against Dave Portnoy or Barstool. Like you're just putting a, a big, a target big, on big you. target on your back. And it's not a coincidence that the two courses that Liv is going to are two courses that Trump has had events taken away from. Uh, I'd be stunned <laughs> if Turnberry is not in the rotation next year, which is also falling out of think about that. the open rota. It, uh, yeah, the... PGA was supposed to be at Bedminster this past year. I'm sure that, you know, they'll, they'll say that this week was better than the PGA would have been anyways. And then uh, the WGC that was once at Doral will, you know, now be the team event there. And and he's, he's out there publicly saying players should take the money because the very disloyal PGA will leave you hanging, whatever the, the exact quote was. And it's like, all right, cool, man. How... How the hell are we supposed to separate politics from this? Like how, like literally dividing the game, how the hell are we supposed to navigate this? What's so funny about this is that like, if you look back to February, mid-February, Genesis Invitational, uh, it felt like there was this like little crack, right? Phil's comments, we were, as journalists, we were asking all the players, like, who do you side with? Everyone sided with the PJ Tour. And then it just, like, the divide got a little bigger, and it felt like, oh, there might be, like, a war on our shore. And then it got a little bit bigger. And then, like, each month, the war has felt bigger and bigger. And if you think it's big right now, again, like, let's just wait until October is done when when Trump has decided what he wants to do taking a stance against Jay Monahan, like the war will be twice as big as it is then than it is right now when you and I are spending 45 minutes talking about it. That's where like, I, I just think that, you know, can live starve out the PGA tour, right? I mean, they can, they can make this thing last as long as they want. And how tempting is that going to be for, again, I think so much hinges on Cam Smith or guys like Cam Smith. That once the really active talents start going there, then things really change. And look, the only thing I'll promise to the audience is like, I will, I am going to tell you how I feel. Uh, I get a lot of people saying, how can you not see the, the great, in-? like the people that are challenging us on 
the, the idea that we're not in control of what we enjoy or what our opinions are is what really frustrates me because like yeah, people are like, oh yeah, what, is anybody going to be neutral on this? I'm like, why, why would you want us to just be neutral? Like, don't you want to hear like what we actually think about it and how we actually see this playing out? If I'm wrong, I'm happy to say I'm wrong about it. And if I end up loving live golf, Three five years from now, then the sports washing is definitely working on me, and you know I'm I'm willing to look past all the other things that uh, you know that that make it what it is. But as of right now, like Patrick Reed and Bryson and Kepka and Pat Perez and all of these dudes that are doing it, like definitely don't do that for me. So from ZD Dogs Golf, he sent this in DM because it's a very long question. He said, "Question for the pod: Too long for one tweet, and the trolls are lurking." <laughs> another aspect of this uh in a weird way did any of you want to see barkley go to live i know it would boost live but i mean from a perspective of expanding the conversation it would get us closer to questions you've asked in the past like if dak prescott took a billion dollars to play in a saudi funded rival football league is that same cowboy fan who fully supports live defending dak and saying how great this is for the nfl having a competitor Barkley isn't apples to apples, but it would go from a, from niche golf fan debate to much bigger. It's also a shame how this has devolved into red team, blue team politics. So maybe any reasonable answers are elusive forever. Great question. It really is. I'm glad they went into the DMs for the length of it. But I think losing Barkley, forget that. I think if they would have got Barkley, it would have been a win for Liv. And people, like I think Shipnuck said that maybe he said it was a win because they avoided like just dumbing down their product to be a baseline level of fan who's going to only tune in for Barkley. I just think that in in this current moment, they're trying to continue to build hype, continue to ascend. And and Barkley would have been a really big get because not only that, you're pulling him from like his love. You're pulling him from TNT. Quote, what he said, uh, it, what's given him his entire life is TNT and basketball. Like <clears throat> pulling him from that would be like a gigantic win. Um, and I think what it would have done is if you pair him with Faraday and Arlo White and Jerry Fultz, like you have the biggest just mishmash of nonsense that frankly kind of appeals to a little bit of like the bro culture that's taking over golf. And I, I do think that people would have shared those clips on social media a lot more and like it might have been strictly a momentum play during a week in which live isn't building like a ton of its own genuine player momentum but like go to the live golf handle and look at the social media videos that they have been sharing pretty damn boring <laughs> like with all due respect completely unbiased the golf that's being shared on those on in those videos is extremely boring but if you just layer over a little voiceover from charles barkley it it is exciting in a weird kind of way so i didn't i kind of sat on the fence i didn't really care if chuck joined or not like it would have been a bunch of more money like frankly just going to somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve it but it would, but it would have been a high, little bit more momentum, I think, for Liv. And so, like, it's it's really a win for nobody, and like the tiniest of loss for Liv. It feels kind of inconsequential. It would have been really interesting to see the rest of the sports world. I think it could have been bad for Liv in a different way than Shipnuck de- described. It, to see the rest of the sport world, sports world, turn their head towards what's happening here, and like, you know, what that? Wait, wait, wait a second. The Saudis are doing what? Like, they just bought. Charles Barkley, like the most colorful commentator, the most well-liked guy. They bought him away from basketball to talk about golf, the sport he's famous for being horrible at. Like, I think that could have been bad because that that would have been uh, kind of the Dak analogy. Right. Like the, a lot of these people that, you know, 
don't actually care about golf love this thing or think it's great like oh chaos like oh fuck the rich up and tidy elite golfers blah 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 like I, more chaos blah 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 and i think if if that would have happened again yeah it's the easiest analogy ever it's like yeah if steph curry left to play in the saudi basketball league try to be like oh yeah he should go pursue oh you wouldn't take a 5x raise oh i'm sure you wouldn't take it I'm sure that's how basketball fans would react to this. And that's where I'm like, dude, how can at least people be human that are responding this way? Like, I, I don't think you're actually, I'm talking to humans uh, on Twitter. But I thought that was a very interesting question in terms of, uh, you know, how that would have changed this, how the sports world views it. But it is starting to make a few, but Bob Costas kind of making some statements on it. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I see, you know, other networks, uh, you know, kind of starting to pay a little bit of attention to it to, like, call it out. Like, dude, what the hell is going on here? Boomer Siason, I know he's not as big as Bob Costas, right. but he, he made a pretty big statement. What, what is interesting to me is uh, I just wonder how long the questions about uh, the morality will go for. Because at some point, the journalists are... We've tried. <laughs> Look, there is a really good effort put forth in London and a really good effort put forth in Portland. And it frankly, less of an effort um, for better or for worse. Like, oh, it's no fault of anyone's. It's working. <laughs> it, it's going. It's just going. Every, my own like angst about it or, you know, uncomfortable feeling I have about it is, is waiting every week. Like that's what's working for Liv. The sports washing is working. And so what I thought, I mean, we always, I think we always knew that was going to happen, but Right when the questions about the Saudi connection to 9-11 really jumped up the week of Brookline, I thought that that was going to really, really poke a hole and live. And it, I think it really remains to be seen that, that it will happen. I mean, like the, the connections between 9-11 and Saudi Arabia are extremely direct. Much has been has discussed about it and proven and reported about it. Um but pro golfers are clearly not going to answer to that. And so like the protests that 9-11 families are, are hosting, the press conferences that they're having in these, uh, in these cities that Liv is going to, like, gosh, I really thought that that would, would really kind of knock around the Liv golf scene a little bit because there's one thing in, in our country that people care about more than anything else. It will be what happened on 9-11. And I, uh, it's not that we need to lean on that <laughs> to to prove that what's happening might not be the best thing, but I just really felt like it would be more impactful. And uh, again, maybe just the pro golfers just being like robotic duds in, in press right now is is working. Yeah, it. it I know. I, I can't. Sometimes I, I feel think like that, I'm. I feel like I'm depressing you. <laughs> no, that makes so much sense, and I feel like at this, like I'm back and forth on like. Are we making too much of a big deal about the Khashoggi thing, or is it uh, not enough of a deal made about it? And it's it just goes back to like, yeah, this whole thing that happened in the fall of 2018. Like the the government at the order of MBS murdered somebody that was speaking badly about uh, Saudi Arabia. That happened six months prior to the first Saudi international put on by the PIF in in February of 2019. Like that. The, the event was already in the works. Their plan for like, here's what we're going to do to, you know, diversify our economy, all this stuff. That's what, and, and improve our image around the world. Shout out to Grupo Salinos. We're going to do that. And also we're going to kill this guy at the same time. Like it's not actual change. It's like, we need to put up this facade and we're going to do this. 
And I just, I'm not qualified. I hear that sentence that I'm saying. And I'm like, I love golf. I just want to talk about golf. Like that is somehow part of the golf experience now in talking about golf. And, uh, and yeah, we, we've, we've lingered you know, it's on been this. tough. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard. been tough to like be, uh, it's been tough to be like a really good guy at parties with this yeah. <laughs> because a lot of people want to know what's going on in golf. But in order to really know what's going on in golf, you have to be pretty well versed on like the 12 different topics you and I have discussed now for over an hour. And you have to like, you have to know like a couple layers deep of information about a lot of things. And so, yeah, I've had to watch and read a lot about Saudi Arabia and I've had to watch and and read a lot about like antitrust lawsuits and what happened in 1994 and like, it's become exhausting. It's been good for traffic, website traffic, but that's not fulfilling to me in any way. What will be fulfilling to me is to like really tell important stories about why golf is the greatest sport. And uh, gosh, we are we have taken a hard ninety degree right turn away from that right now. It's a short term spike, is what I keep describing it as too. Like I think golf is as it gets less interesting. It's just it's you know there's a we're creating potentially creating a whole generation gap of golf fans, right? Like, I I think I view this a little bit bias biasly. I don't think that's a word, but in a biased way, in terms of it, there was a PGA Tour event that came to my hometown growing up, and it was a big deal because Tiger went, and it made me a bit much bigger golf fan. Like that's the effect that professional golf can have on the golf world. And if we have if there's not that representation and there's not that interest level in it. And maybe there will be. Maybe Live brings more tournaments to more places in the United States and it creates more golf fans. I, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that, of course, but uh, I, I, I think that diversifying in this game is not going to necessarily create the strongest momentum for it. But maybe the game needs to shrink because every golf course I go to is overflowing with people as well. So only the only other remaining things I had in my notes was rejected a guy for saying that he should have fluffed his lie. I don't know if you saw that with... Uh, Somebody sent me that with two holes to go. I don't know what hole that was on, but somebody said, you should have fluffed your lie. And he's mic'd up. He's like, oh, yeah, tall guy, you're out of here. Well, he's got Slugger making the rules for him. So, I mean, he's comfortable. His kids will be put through college. Uh, also, the, the, uh, the, the first tee shout that Phil got, uh, do it for the Saudi royal family. And he had to back off that shot. That was really impressive. And I, I, I was really bummed about the chain, spoke, chain smokers had to con- uh, cancel their concert because of an illness. That was a, a, bi- a, big, a big bummer and also a little bit ironic when you think about the golf I road. mean, could have been the most perfect like cyclical story. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a COVID case, obviously we hope that they are doing fine, whoever had it. However, if it is, holy cow. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> Finally, a Chainsmokers concert got canceled because of illness, is all I'll say. A, a great question. Shanky McShank, true or false, we will see a live player or players tee it up in, the, in Rome in 2023 at the Ryder Cup. Well, if you listen to what Luke Donald said today, I don't know. I know you're on, you're on tourist sauce vacation, but he basically said, I have no idea. It's a possibility. Jamie Weir asked him the questions, uh, and Jamie said, look, I know this sounds crazy, but could Henrik Stenson be a player on your team? And Luke Donald just basically said, like, there's going to be a lawsuit or there's going to be yeah. lawsuits. And that's going to decide this thing. Now, like, that's a long time from now. It's 13 months from now. I think I think Luke called it 14 months from now, but it's almost 14, whatever. <laughs> the President's Cup is before then. And Louis Oosthuizen's been on many President's Cup teams. Like, 
him and Brandon Grace have both said they would like to play in the President's Cup as members of the Sunshine Tour via South Africa. And, like, is that different than what Luke Donald's going to face? I don't really think so. Trevor Immelman has a lot of decisions to make. Zach Johnson's made pretty clear what he's going to do. But, like, as soon as these things enter, we, we've already seen there's precedent in a small claims court here in the UK. Ian Poulter won his way back into the Scottish Open, and so did Brandon Grace and Adrian Odegay and Justin Harding. And so there is precedent. Like, it's hard to look away from that. Um, I would say, I would say, yeah, it's going to happen if you hold a gun to my head. But, gosh, that's 13 months from now. I would agree. I think it's weird, right? Because I think it's always important to keep the context of what is PGA Tour and what is not. The majors are not PGA Tour. And from the U.S. side, the the U.S. Ryder Cup team is PGA of America and not PGA Tour. So put that aside. For U.S., it's a lot more complicated on the European side where the actual DP World Tour is the representation in the Ryder Cup. So do their policies on what those players are allowed to do in European tour events also carry over directly to the Ryder Cup? I think it's a different question for those two teams. I don't know what is stopping Zach Johnson from taking Dustin Johnson if he wants to as a captain's pick. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think any live guys will qualify. His morals, damn it. <laughs> that very well could be it. But like, what would this, you know, maybe the PGA Championship, maybe all the majors bind together and say, these guys aren't playing in any of our events. I don't want to think about what that would look like from a legal perspective. It doesn't feel like the right move from their, from their aspect. But I, I think it's likely that we'll see live players either in a small or somewhat medium-sized capacity playing in the Ryder Cup next year. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I, a lot can happen between now and then. I just would, if I'm the same way as you. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if I was to bet now, I'd say it's probably likely. And President's Cup, man, that's, that's freaking confusing coming up. Because another thing about the International President's Cup team is how the internationals qualify for it. It's through world ranking. Like, it is not through FedEx Cup points. And... So that adds a whole another layer of how, you know, what's Trevor Emmelman's grounds to say you can't play on this team? Or why would he want to do that necessarily? He doesn't, sure. he works for he a broadcast partner of the PGA Tour, but he doesn't work for the PGA Tour. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. So it, everyone is afraid to make a move. Jay Monahan, I think, legally can only make so many moves. And uh, Mike Wan did not want to make a move because. Uh, he he didn't want to have to be the person who made the move. And then Martin Slumbers, very similarly. And Fred Ridley, he doesn't have to host a tournament for another eight months. He's not ready to make a move. And so he's up whole next, kind though. Of like... He's up next. That's the that's the hard part. <laughs> Ridley's up next. He's got plenty of time to figure it out. It's just like I feel like there's going to be a shoe that drops somewhere, probably courtesy of the PGA Tour. Uh, and again, this is all about precedence. Like. We, we talked about it in February, March, April, like, oh, this is going to end up in a courtroom. That'll be the, you know, the glut of it all is just getting figured out by, by lawyers. That still could possibly be the case. But what happens in matters in the, in the courtroom is just weird precedents that happen elsewhere. So if you bring in all these precedents of, well, the Scottish Open allowed it because that claims court in the UK made it happen. Does that have any ground to stand on? Is there any other ground to stand on? Like, I, I am uh, 
I'm not the person to ask for that. Sorry. I'm not either. I, I'm, I, there's a lot of very confident people on both sides as to exactly how this is going to play out, which makes me more and more confused every single day. Like, and that's where <laughs> I will never say like what I think is going to happen. I, some people, oh, that's not going to hold up in court. Like, I don't know that. Maybe it won't. Maybe it oh. won't. We should have seen this coming because Joel Beale did a great story for Digest yeah. that basically said the tour is going to win the the legal game. And like a day later, Josh Sens did a similar story for golf.com that said the tour is going to lose the legal game. And I'm like, okay, what, what's going on here? Both sides are incredibly confident and it, it just, Monaghan's about the, as conservative of a guy as it, as it, you know, as little of a risk taker as possible as you can have in that role. And the one thing he's been so adamant about is his position in all of this stuff. And he very well may be wrong, but I just don't see, like, the one thing that he has been so dead set on seems like, all right, if he is wrong, he loses his job. That's very clear. And maybe he has no other option than to have this stance. But that's just, that's the one thing that holds me together at least a little bit in terms of, like, God, I just don't think that these... I've challenged the PGA Tour folks a lot of times on a lot of their thinking and a lot of their uh, credentials and all that stuff. I don't think that they're all this dumb to just blindly say, blah, 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 this is antitrust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like, personally commit these antitrust violations and put myself at risk here to protect these millionaire golfers. Like, I just don't think that that is. I just, that doesn't add up to me. I could very well be wrong because I'm not a lawyer, but that's where my mind goes to as a golf fan. So... Gosh, Bubba announced his signing this week. That seems like a long time ago. They announced a new league for next year. 48 players, 12 teams, 14 events. Seems like they're working their way around the qualifying part of it. That's kind of what this seems... Uh, qualifying part of the OWGR in terms of a feeder tour of some kind. But, uh, you know, now they're talking about Live Golf will deliver 25 events worldwide in 2023. That includes the Asian tour events that they're sponsoring, plus the 14 Live Golf League events. And all of a sudden, this, you know, we want to play less golf thing is probably going to go out the window next year because 25 events is a full season of golf. I still I still think the world ranking points thing is going to come down to y'all are hosting three-round tournaments, and golf has always almost been always four-round tournaments. You don't have a cut. You're giving away money. Like, I think those are pretty substantial uh, Hurdles. assets, I guess. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally agree. And the major the, – the, OWGRs are basically to figure out major championship golf. What do they play in major championship golf? They're big fields, masters aside, but they have a cut. They play four rounds. So uh, I, I, this seems to be like something they're going for in terms of taking one little thing off the table for when this does go to a legal fight to say, no, no, we do have this. And I'm sure they're going to start chipping away at the other stuff, which is average field size is 75. Well, Maybe they, I don't know, do they end up buying the Asian tour and saying, like, these, this is a function of the Asian tour, much like the OW, you know, the WGCs are a function of blah, 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 and that we can get around that one. That way our average field size goes up and there's qualification for the Asian tour. I, that's, the, that's the 800-level class that I don't think we have, uh, we have time to get into. But anything, anything else on live after an hour uh, that, we, that we're leaving behind because i got some other stuff to ask you. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we covered live and you know what? You're going to have to do another live podcast in like three or four weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> I think we've successfully pissed, your breath for that one. pissed people off. Didn't answer questions. Yeah. Did all that. What's, uh, you, what's your plan for the AIG women's open coming up this week? sounds like you were down, uh, watching some qualification today. Uh, are you spending the week down in North Berwick and going to that? 
Yes, I am at a bed and breakfast here in North Berwick. Uh, as great as St. Andrews is, this town might be might be just as good. Like if the old course was here, this would be a more famous town, I think, than than St. Andrews would be. I've never been to Muirfield, so I'm hyped to go there. We've been doing a decent amount of ranting. Uh, I think it's awesome that the women are going there, and I'll try not to make it a rant about why it's good that they're going there, but it's it's historic. That's the best way of putting it. It's historic that they are hosting a pro women's event when they were pulled kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Um, and so that's awesome. Like, I can't wait to be there for that. And like, even like if you pull away that crap, like it's one of the best golf courses in the world. And I think a refrain we continue to hear from the best women in the world is that we want to play our major championships at courses where history has been made. We want to play at Olympic Club. We want to play at Pebble Beach. We want to play at St. Andrews. Uh, they're not being allowed to play at Augusta National, but they get, you know, there are women open, female opens at uh, Oakmont and at uh, Marion. And like, that is a huge thing. You, it, it needs to be an equal playing field in front of like what courses we allow to define history in this game. And so if Lydia Ko who is freaking due, if she gets it done this week at Mirfield, that will be a gigantic stamp in her career passport. Like, that's massive. And so I think that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, I, I we're going to be traveling during some of it, and I'm hoping to catch the back half of it. I'm, it's, uh, it, it is a huge moment. It's exciting. I, it's been circled on the calendar for, for many years for a lot of these women, and it is a representative step for un- I hate to give it too much credit, you know, in that regard. Like, it's ridiculous. It's archaic that it has taken this long for it to happen. And I don't want to overly celebrate it because it's, it's, and I t- we had a, a Katrina Matthew on the podcast this week. And if you haven't listened to that yet, please, I, I advise that you do in terms of just looking at it's not, Muirfield is not representative of golf in Scotland. And like, it, for the past many, many, many years, at one point it has been, but. Many, many, many clubs, almost all of them, have evolved over the years, and it took Muirfield way, way, way too long to do that. But bringing the Women's Open there is an enormous step in terms of getting past this era of exclusion in golf. And hopefully this is, I don't know, it's not all taken care of, but it is a big, big hurdle to clear. So I, I greatly appreciate your comments on that. Tell me about living in Scotland this year. What, what brought that about and what, what the hell that experience has been like? Uh, okay. So I think you'll, you'll acknowledge, or at least at one part of your life, you'll have aligned with this, but I was 29 years old about <laughs> a year ago and I watched the Gulf, Ca- Gulf channel documentary, a story, the story of St. Andrews, whatever it's called. And, uh, I was about to turn 30 and I was single and I was like, I need to do something with my life. That's actually kind of big. Um, and luckily I worked for the same company for seven years at that point, And had a little bit of a leash and I said, Hey, I want to go spend the summer in St. Andrews because this is the summer to be in Fife. You have the open at St. Andrews, the Scottish open, uh, down at Renaissance club. You have the women playing at Mirfield. The seniors are at Glen Eagles. Uh, let me go to, to St. Andrews for three months. And I guess the three months I chose were June, July, and August. And it's kind of like this perfect, bell curve where it's like you you go up you're leading up to the open and town is getting extremely excited and then open week it's chaos in the the most beautiful chaos and like we, we were delivered such a ridiculous open and again beautiful beautiful chaos with cam smith beating rory and now it is we're coming on the backside of that peak and 
like the town has quieted down and has receded back to being owned by amateur golfers, frankly. Like uh, it's it's it was so fun to see it be owned by pro golfers for a very short period of time and then learning a lot about pro golf that week and then kind of seeing the town come back to normal. And yeah, I have, yeah, today's August 1st. I've got another month here in Fife. Uh, I've got some work travel to a couple of the open hosts. Probably not a ton of writing. I've kind of written my way through St. Andrews at this point, but plenty of women's open coverage this week. And it's just been a ton of fun, man. I know you did a lot of traveling in your 20s, and uh, it's probably been the best trip of my life. So we've checked that box, and now we can move back to Chicago like you failed to do. I did. I did. I was excited to hear you were going back to back to Chicago <laughs> as well. But there's something about going outside your comfort zone and uh, and living, even if it is for a three-month period, uh, somewhere else that just it just scratches a totally different itch. It, it'll change you forever. It uh I was excited to hear you were doing that, and I'm, I'm thrilled. It's a great, great move. I'm sure you've gotten to play a lot of great golf. I'm wondering what the uh, what some of the highlights of that have been. Uh, well, I shot the round of my life at North Berwick, mm. which is you know kind of a crowning thing. Uh, we had a really great weather day, and that was probably a round I'll think about forever. But then the next day we played Cruden Bay, which could not be a different, more different kind of links golf test. Um, and I, I had a great day up there with Rue McDonald, but I felt like those two days back to back just kind of encapsulated like Lynx golf can look like this and Lynx golf can look like this. And like, there's so much on the spectrum in between, uh, one of which is the old course and, uh, the castle course. (laughs) And, you know, I know a lot of people don't love that golf course, but like, there's just so many different courses here. Scott's Craig, I got to play with, you know what I'm, you know what, frankly, I'm running into is I'm running into a bunch of no laying up fans here in Europe. <laughs> There's so many freaking no laying up fans here. Uh, they're, they're all, they're always like, oh, do you know those guys? I'm like, yeah, I know them, but you could also know them too. Like they're not like celebrities <laughs> or something. Um, but anyway, it's, it's been a real blast to, um, to like not know what course I'm going to play this week and then like have another invite come in or reach out to another club. And frankly, I'm going to miss this a lot when I go home because we're going to be playing on really soft, green, overwatered golf courses that are really expensive. Uh, and if they're privately owned uh, or privately, uh, if they have a private membership, they're just out of my pay grade. But he, riddle me this. If, if the cost to join a club, if you were living in Chicago, if the cost to join a club was a thousand pounds like it is oftentimes here how many clubs would you join <laughs> uh, i asked joel damon this question I asked joel this question that week and he said he would join a club in every single city that the tour stops in yeah uh it would be uh, in chicago alone i'd probably like six or seven maybe maybe eight or ten i mean it, yeah. it, like it's 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 a total joke i mean yeah i i I could I could join ten clubs in Scotland probably for what it probably cost me to, for my one club in Jacksonville. It's the goal. The whole golf yeah. culture is it's astonishing. It's jarring. It makes way more sense. The whole way they treat the game, competition wise, exercise wise, and uh, just junkie wise, they're golf. Junkies. Where did we go wrong? I know. Where did I, we go wrong, dude? I have a whole big theory on all this and how real estate works and how cultures work and society and 
environmental protection and all that stuff. It's just a totally different thing. I mean, it's a miracle to me that these courses still exist on these coasts and have survived erosion and environmental and aspects and real estate projects and all this stuff. Like it just, it's just a totally different uh, animal from, from what we experience in the States and how our culture works. And it filters all the way down into golf. And I, I find myself at it struggling to describe both golf in Scotland and like how it all works, like how, how it is managed to be maintain that cheap, how the how friendly the golf culture is, how welcoming and how non elitist the, the game is there. And uh, I it, it just kind of a I don't know if it's a thrill for me. I'm excited for you in terms of to 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 engulf yourself into the soul of the game for an entire summer uh, amidst all the turmoil of what's going on. I think it is. I, I spent 40 days after I quit my job and was supposed to move back home traveling around England, Scotland, and Ireland, uh, playing golf and following the European tour around and meeting people in random cities and just seeing what golf is like in different parts in the world. And, uh, it's, there's a reason why I dedicated my life to it. It's my favorite game. And it's, it's, there's so much inspiring stuff there. Does it make for an interesting podcast every week? No. It's why we got to talk about pro golf a lot. Cause it is usually more interesting to talk about layers upon layers there, but the soul of where it's at and why we all do it is, is what you've hopefully been able to experience this year. Yeah. It, it was kind of great to have the live golf event. Like literally the second week I was here, it was just, I, I took a train back from London up to here and I went for a run around the old course and it was a Sunday and everyone knows that on a Sunday, the, the old course is just a park. And it was like, Holy cow. I have detoxified my yeah. body, my golf body. Um, and so I've, I've written a lot about it this summer. I got to knuckle down and like create a book proposal and try to get it to someone and maybe turn a book in, out of it, but maybe not. Maybe it's just a, a bunch of great memories and a, a reason to come back every single year. So it might need to be an annual pilgrimage. Tell me about Caddy for Joel, uh, how that came about and what the, what you learned there and what that experience was well, like. Yep. As we discussed, you played a role, uh, whether or not you want to like downsize your role. I was listening to your podcast while playing the Duke's course here in St. Andrews. Um, it's the least linksy golf course here. It's the most Americanized, but anyways, that's where I was on the Monday after Brookline. And I heard him come on there and say, Hey, Solly, I need a caddy. And you know, Joel and I are friendly. We follow each other on social media, but like, that's pretty much it. And um, when you said I have vacation plans, I immediately DM'd him. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm here. And I know it's expensive as hell to travel right now. And last minute hotels are very expensive. If you need a caddy, let me know. And he got back to me a couple hours later and said, here's my number. Let's talk this through. And I've just learned that like Joel is a pretty dry texter. <laughs> and so like the next text was how much do you want to get paid? And I was like, Oh God, I'd like, <laughs> is this like a bartering system? Is this like one of those, uh, you know, airlines trying to like bump passengers, like the lowest price wins. <laughs> and so I don't even remember what exactly I told him. I basically told him like what Martin trainer paid me. And then he gave me a really, really generous deal. And, uh, I was planning on covering the event as a journalist anyways. And so, oh gosh, sometimes you just need to level up and learn how much you don't know about golf. And I think that was my week of leveling up. Like I said earlier, I'm an eight handicap, right? And I hit like two golf shots that are perfect every round, maybe one golf shot that feels perfect every single round. And when you are caddying for a player of that caliber, 
you all have to believe because they believe you can find the perfect shot every single time. You can find the perfect, uh, you know, analysis of the wind and the place you're going to land it and the amount of spin and the trajectory and the club, whatever. And so it was such a fun challenge for competitive people to do that on a linksy golf course that was extremely firm and the wind was like way up. Um, you know, that setup actually got players extremely riled up because they couldn't carry it to the fairway on, on Thursday. Um, what was, which was, was so sick because like I had caddied for Joel and we were in the morning wave and played like that was bad. Like we, we played bad in the early wave, which was nice. And so I like went back into the press room. Joel went home and got dinner with his wife. And I like kind of like I, I fell asleep for like 10 minutes in the press. Room. I was so tired. But then I went out and like started like writing about it. <laughs> And I found Finno and I found Mackenzie Hughes and I found Mackenzie's caddy and Cantley and all these people were coming in off the golf course freaking pissed off. And I was like, what, what's going on here? And like, well, the setup was bonkers. It was horrible. And I was like, gosh, Joel and I didn't have a really bad setup in the morning. <laughs> we played horrible golf. But yeah, it was so enlightening to see how a very small, like Joel to be successful has to just be a smarter golfer, right? He has to play the ball low. He has to play the ball on the ground at a, at a firm setup. And he has to be a smarter golfer than some people who are just gripping it and ripping it. And so I feel like I learned a lot and then, you know, he missed the cut, but the real treat of the week was when those guys came over here and I walked around North Barrick with him and Luke List, Luke List's caddy, and uh, Ted Scott was, I think, playing a couple groups ahead of us. Brian Vranish is Siwoo's caddy. He was a couple groups ahead of us. Keith Mitchell had had come over after like his third round, and I really got like baptized in the the tour stop hang, for lack of a better term. Like they were all staying in the Marine Hotel, and we ended up taking it like pretty deep that night, and. I was supposed to be back in Edinburgh. And so I ended up getting a hotel room at the Marine hotel, um, like at frankly at like three in the morning. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of like people yelling, Sean, this is off the record at me. So I can't share like <laughs> too many details on the podcast, but it was a hell of a night, a hell of a weekend. And like the absolute worst way to get into open week, which is when you're like working from 7am until 11pm. I took up all my energy, like hanging out with Joel and then like got properly zapped up in St. Andrews. But again, absolutely no regrets. Joel is a class act. And then he went and just had a nice little Italian vacation with his wife. God, man, I'm envious of your youth. You missed out. I know. I'm, I'm envious <laughs> of your youth and, uh, and your, all of your experiences this summer. I, I would read that book if you, if you did end up writing the book. We may have to do a, a whole other podcast when you're done with it all to, to break it all down. But um Anything we left on the table today? I, I've taken up a lot of your time, and uh, it's it's weird covering golf in Europe again, man. The, the hours of the day don't quite work. I thought we were going to do this Sunday night, and I realized it was going to be like a one o'clock recording, and I was like, "How did I do this for how many years?" I have no more notes. Uh, it's a pleasure to join you, and I hope to hopefully your your homies aren't too drunk off of their little boat cruise. I saw Neil on Tron's. Uh, story i think just eating fresh crab like off the boat as it was moving so, so they caught that this morning 
they caught it this morning, steamed it on the boat, and then that's what they're eating tonight. <laughs> they, they had some snacks earlier, and then that's what they're eating tonight. They're, the boat was maybe going to come pick me up to pick them up, but uh, I, I don't think that's going to quite work out. But Did we blow through that? <laughs> no, I didn't think it was very, uh, you know, I, once I, once we get going on live, it's pretty hard to have a 15-minute uh, conversation <laughs> on it. So I was not in the budget for me, but... Sean, thanks much for your time, man. Uh, really appreciate you uh, taking us through this last another weird week in golf, and we will have to do it again sometime. You got it, dude. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect